Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, welcome to the Two Footed Podcast. It is Wednesday, the 23rd. Only two more sleeps till Christmas. We are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is, of course, a VPN provider. A VPN is a virtual privacy network that allows you to go online, change your location if you want to access something like American Netflix or you want to get a Peacock account or anything like that, you can do that. It also keeps your data and information safe from online ne'er-do-wells, and that's very important in today's climate. Use my code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout on libertyshield.com. They have hardware and software packages to suit any need that you may have. Uh, It's a bit of a quiet news day today. It's the calm before the storm. We have games this weekend, games mid next week, games the following weekend. There's a lot of football coming up. Today, we're just going to do a little bit of a news roundup. Um, I've got some questions that went unanswered from different uh, Twitter Thursdays that we've done. I think I've got four questions to go through. Um, And we'll we'll do some gossip as well, because why not? Breaking news today is that Kieran Trippier has been suspended for 10 weeks uh, due to breaches of the Football Association's betting rules. He denies all seven alleged breaches, but four were found proven during a personal hearing. The offences date back to July 2019, which is when Trippier joined Atletico Madrid from Spurs and his ban from all football is effective immediately. I assume he told people close to him that he was going to be making the move and that they put money on it it got found out and now he's landed himself in trouble very very similar to what happened with Daniel Sturridge uh, who told people to bet on him making a move that he didn't end up making in the end so nobody made any money and he still got banned for Trippier it looks like it was based on the Atletico ban it's obviously Disappointing for him, disappointing for Atletico, but, you know, you really shouldn't be doing these type of things. It's a little bit unfortunate and a little bit of a stain on his reputation. And we had Manchester City 4, Arsenal 1 in the EFL Cup quarterfinal, and Brentford 1, Newcastle 0 in the same competition. I have to be honest, I didn't watch either game. I've seen the highlights, and I think the less said about runner Alex Runnerson the better at fault for two of the Arsenal goals. I did say when they signed him, this guy is no good. You can't, you can't have him in your squad if you're a Premier League team. 
Uh, made one great save from Gabby Jesus and then made one of the worst errors you'll see all season and another pretty bad one. Uh, he's just not a very good goalkeeper, unfortunately. Um, Statsbomb ranked him as the worst goalkeeper in the top five leagues for multiple seasons. So, you know, it says it all. They sold Emmy Martinez and brought him into the club and that kind of sums up everything about Arsenal right now. Martin Keown said last night that he feels like the club is in free fall. And I do think that's an accurate description of what's going on there. You look at their league position, you look at their performances, four losses out of the last five, haven't won a domestic game since early November when they beat United 1-0. They've got a fairly difficult run of games coming up. Um, Chelsea next, then away to Brighton, away to West Brom and Big Sam, then Palace at home. These are not easy games. And if Arsenal aren't careful... They could well find themselves slipping even further. It would be no surprise if both Burnley and Brighton were to jump them in the table. They are a little bit fortunate that Fulham have quite a tough run. But I, I think Mikel Arteta's days may be numbered at Arsenal Football Club. And it's unfortunate for him because I don't think it's ent- entirely on him. He inherited a very poor squad. He hasn't really had any leadership above him. He's got... I think an incompetent director of football in Edu, um, a real lack of top-level direction at the club, and their transfer policy was just strange. I mean, I, I love Thomas Partey. I think Gabriel's a really good signing, but Willian didn't make sense. I said it at the time. I wrote about it at the time. It didn't make sense. You're committing large amounts of money to a player who's 32 and who's only probably going to give you one to two good years, and even that first good year hasn't the first year hasn't been good. By the time Arsenal are good, he'll be on the back end of that contract to be paying him, I think it's two hundred grand a week to not be very good at football anymore. Gave that big extension to Aubameyang when again, by the time Arsenal are good, I think that looks a lot like the Osel contract looks now. There is the Osel situation, the Socrates situation, there's the rumors of discontent in the dressing room and a falling out between him and David Luiz, who somehow still manages to find his way into the team, despite not speaking to the manager. Top to bottom, Arsenal are a mess. They still have a great academy. The problem is they haven't got the pathway to get those players into the first team all that regularly. And we've seen top, top players leave Arsenal for minimal amounts of money, go elsewhere and become superstars. Serge Gnabry, Serge Gnabry rather, is the, the primary one. But Jeff Rene Adelaide, um, Benneker at, at, at AC Milan. I mean, these those three would immediately start for Arsenal and make them better. If Arsenal wanted to play a 4-3-3, Adelaide, Rene Adelaide, Partey and Benneker as a midfield three would be right up there with the very best in the league. You'd have Serge Gnabry. Maybe you go Aubameyang through the middle as the nine. And or you could play Nicolas Pepe on the right and Gnabry on the left and Aubameyang as, as your nine. And, and that would be great. You'd have Gabriel and um, Tierney as half of your back line. You'd need a right back and a right centre back. But you'd be in great, great, great uh, standing with what you had. You'd be a top six team at a minimum. Instead, they're a bottom six team and they look like they're in major trouble. Uh, and that last night just compounds it. Pep Guardiola came out after the game and said that it would be a mistake for Arsenal to sack Arteta. I think that's just him sticking up for his friend. I don't see any way around it. The problem is I don't know what manager is going to be overly keen to come into Arsenal in the current situation. 
with the lack of leadership, with the absentee owners, with the lack of proper experience at management level. I just don't see it being an attractive job. I mean, you look at the Premier League managers who've been linked. Brendan Rodgers has been mentioned. Would he really leave Leicester second with that team who are only going to get better and need a couple of tweaks here and there and maybe a couple of long-term pieces as long-term replacements for Schmeichel and, and Vardy? Are they really, you know, they're not going to fall off unless they start selling players, which I don't think they'll do. They'll sell one a year, which is their, their norm, but they replace them well. Um, who else is going to come in? Allegri's out there. Will he see this as the job to come back into management for? Will Pochettino see it as the job to come back for? I don't think so. Maybe Allegri. Maybe. Because he tried to get that job before. But I don't think Poch will want it. And when you do look around the the landscape of football, it's hard to see, other than the fact that they're Arsenal Football Club and that they're in London and there's a lot of prestige about that job, it's hard to see what top manager would be willing to take the job. Certainly no one who's already in a good job, I don't think, not at this point anyway, maybe in the summer, but what do you do? Do you, do you fire Arteta and hope that a, a caretaker can get you through till the end of the season? Do you just write off the year? Maybe that's what you have to do. How does that affect your transfer budget for the summer? Because again, that will play a factor in what manager you can get. How much money are you going to give them to spend? Uh, Newcastle obviously went out as well, losing to Brentford. They'll be very, very disappointed, I think, with that. Though Steve Bruce's focus is solely on survival in the Premier League. And he's making a very good fist of that this year. They're doing obviously very well, uh, sitting in 12th, I think. Um, So, you know, they they won't mind too much. But losing to a, a championship side is always a little bit disappointing when you're a Premier League team. Uh, great for Brentford, and it's the first ever major semi-final, which is huge. I, I, they're a club I'd love to see in the Premier League because I, I love how they operate. I love their recruitment process. That's going to change now, obviously, with the Brexit rules. But I think I still think they're smart. I still think they've got the right investments made in, in the departments they've invested in. And they'll find leagues that they can target. Like, they've heavily scouted uh, the second division in France. That's no longer going to be an option for them. But there's a whole bunch of other leagues they can scout and pick up the right players to bring them forward and, and, and you know, sell on at later dates. Um, very well, very well run club and would be a, a, an addition to the, a good addition to the Premier League, I think. Um, as I said, I've got some questions here that I was sent over the last couple of weeks, kind of after I'd done the, the Twitter Thursday pods. We're not going to get a Twitter Thursday pod this week because... I'm not doing Christmas Day. Uh, I hope you'll uh, allow me the, the one day. Um, but um, so tomorrow will be me and Guy running through the the Boxing Day and and Sunday games, and we might even look at the Monday Tuesday games as well, depending on how we are for time. But um, yeah, so I've got I've got these questions here, so I'll run through these. Um, the first one is from Ollie Emerson who says, can you think of two teams, preferably in the Premier League, that would both improve by swapping their managers? And I've had a look at the, obviously at the league table and that, and you you try and figure out, you know, what managers are the right fit with certain groups of players, because obviously you can take a really good manager 
But if you put him in a group of players that aren't suited to how he wants to play, they're not going to get very far. So I think, now I, I, again, a lot of people will, will disagree with this. But I think if you swapped Bielsa with Nuno Espirito Santo, I actually think Leeds... Now, I don't mean that Leeds aren't good. I, I love watching Leeds. I think they're the most entertaining team in the league. I think Nuno's system and style of play would suit the current crop of Leeds players a little bit better than Bielsa. I think Bielsa will eventually get to the level he wants to be at with Leeds, assuming he stays. I think what he's done is he's implemented his style and then he'll worry about the players fitting in after. But I think Nuno's back three system. Now, this is on the assumption that everybody's fit. I think Nuno's back three system would work really, really well there. Like if they went 3-4-3 with, say, Rodrigo, Bamford and Rafinha as a front three, I think that would be really, really strong. You go with Ailing and maybe Stuart Dallas or Alioski as your as your wing backs. I know Phillips is is generally better as the the lone six, but I do think he can be developed into a great double pivot player with the right partner. And again, like there's 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 good options there. I I do think that's the one area they'd need to add somebody, um, but they have. Some decent players there. When Forshaw is fit, I think Forshaw and Phillips as a as a pair in midfield would work very well. And then if you were to go Loriente, Cooper, who I'm not a big fan of, but I think can be protected in the three, and Robin Cock as the back three, I think that works. And I think it gives more protection to the goalkeeper, protects the defence a lot better, and I think then the balance is a little bit better in midfield and attack. And the same with Bielsa at Wolves. I think Wolves have hit a little bit of a ceiling under Nuno. I think Nuno's a very good manager, but maybe just the message stops getting across at times. Whereas I think Bielsa would have a lot of fun with a fully fit Wolves squad. I mean, Jimenez doing what Bamford does, I think that's... If you were to pick the ideal upgrade on Patrick Bamford, it probably would be Raul Jimenez. Um, In the wide areas, they've got Neto... They've got Pedence, they've got Adama. He likes that two in midfield. Well, Matinho and Den Donker, I think, as the two sort of box-to-box midfielders, one a little bit creative, one a bit more powerful, perfect balance. Ruben Neves in that Calvin Phillips lone six role. The centre-backs is where Bielsa would have trouble, but I think if he went with Willie Bolly and Kilman, I think those two... Uh, could play the style he wants to play. And then you could also, if you wanted to, you could maybe play Pedence and Moutinho as the, the midfield kind of two with Neves behind them and move Den Donker back to centre-back. And then I think the full-backs, Semedo and um, Aitnuri, would work really, really well in Bielsa's system of just constant attacking, constant overlaps and overloads. So I do think if you swap Nuno with Bielsa, I think both teams would improve in terms of their league position anyway. Um, not to say one is a better manager than the other or anything, but I just think the 
the groups of players at each club is maybe a little bit more suited to how the other would want want to play, ideally. Uh, so I hope that answers the question, Ollie. I mean, there's probably a bunch of other options out there. Like if you were to swap Sean Dyche with Dean Smith, maybe Villa and Burnley would improve because Smith might bring a more attacking nature to Burnley and get a little bit more out of the likes of Brownhill, out of McNeil, out of um, Goodmanson and, and Wood and, and that. And Sean Dyche would instill more steel in that Villa team and maybe just eke a little bit more out of each and every player um, as he as he tends to do. But I, I do like I like the idea of Nuno for Bielsa straight swap, no cash compensation. Let's let's run with it and see what happens. Uh, next question then is from uh, Gautam LFC G A U T H A M. I've probably butchered the name, mate. I'm really sorry. You know I'm bad at these things, so apologies. Send me the phonetic pronunciation of it, and, and I'll get it right next time. I promise. Um, who do you think are the ten? Most overrated players in the Premier League. It seems like a fair few top players are getting by on reputation and unnecessary praise from pundits. Right, I've got a top 10 that I've written down here. So let's get the obvious one out of the way. Jordan Henderson, incredibly overrated. Good player, has a lot of bad games. Talked about as a great player. Overhyped because of uh, intangibles. He's just a good player. It's all he is. Liverpool have better midfielders. He's not one of the five or six or seven best or most important players at Liverpool. He's merely a cog in a machine who's replaceable. Has he done a big? Uh, has he played a big part in the success? Absolutely, he has. So have many others. But for him to win player of the year last year was was farcical. He wasn't one of the five best players in the Liverpool team, let alone player of the year across the whole league. Uh, so let's just get him out of the way. Next up, Harry Maguire. Uh, in part, the price, 80 million for a player at max worth 40, 40 million. I don't think he's a I don't think he's the type of centre back that plays in a team that wins the Premier League in this era. 25 years ago, absolutely. I think he's the modern-day Steve Bruce, is what I think he is. Um, he's a good centre-back. He's not a great centre-back. He's slow. Positionally, he's not great. Doesn't have the best awareness. Like I say, good, not great. Certainly not worth £80 million. Certainly not England's best centre-back. Certainly not worthy of any manner of hype that uh, that falls on him. Uh, sticking with English centre-backs, Eric Dyer. Um, again, good, not great. Can't defend facing his own goal. A little bit stuck in the mud when it comes to turning and trying to chase. Has good straight line speed, but doesn't have great agility. If the game's in front of him, he's fine. As with Maguire, it's when the game goes behind him, he, he falls apart. Connor Cody. Uh, Carrick Neville picked him in there in their team of the of 2020 can't defend he's good on the ball but he can't defend they died i'll hear no arguments he just can't defend 1v1 he's as bad as anyone in the league he's not particular um i, I just no he's just, he's not for me uh these next two might be a little bit controversial jack Grealish. i i think he's a very talented player i think he's a good footballer i'm yet to see enough evidence that he really facilitates winning 
Um, I, I know Villa have had a good start to the year, but they've got a very good team. They've spent an awful lot of money. They'd want to have had a good start to the year. He's a very talented footballer. I don't know that he works for a club who don't build everything around him and who don't run their team through him. I think if you put him at Liverpool or Chelsea or Spurs or United, I think he struggles because I don't think he's the type of player who as a complementary piece rather than the main focal point will work. I also don't think he works if you don't have other players who are largely in the team just to do his running for him. I think if you're expecting him to carry his own his own weight, I, I just don't think he does. Very good on the ball. Doesn't impress me off the ball. Um, and again, I don't see enough in the way of helping a team win. I think he's best suited to being the man at a mid-table. Mid-table to, say, outside of the top six club. Um, and Wolf Zaha is exactly the same. Very, very talented player. Has games and stretches of games where he looks unplayable, as does Grealish, and will then drift through seasons. Like, Jack Grealish drifted through most of last season, and it was ignored because he had a good run towards the end of the season. He's had a very good start to this season, there's no question. Grealish and Zaha, you can put them both together. I think they're basically uh, two sides of the same coin. Different players, but the same player at the same time. If the team has run through them, they look a million dollars, they can definitely impress at times but then they will float through games there'll be a lot of flash a lot of style and not a lot of substance so I expect pushback on those two but I'm okay with that that is just my view on them good players just not great players very very talented more talented than production uh Reese James again maybe a slightly controversial one I think he's a good right back. I think he potentially could be a very good right back. But the idea that he's better than Trent Alexander-Arnold or one of the top five or six right backs in the world is ludicrous. Uh, Based on what? He's still got massive flaws defensively. He's a good but inconsistent crosser of the ball. Positionally, he's all over the place. And he doesn't start every game. Like, he's got... He can't have more than 30 Premier League games, maybe 40 Premier League games under his belt. It's just time to pump the brakes a little bit on Reese James and not put enormous amounts of pressure on a young man. Okay, he's got 36 Premier League games, 24 last year, 12 this year. He's He is good, and he will be very good in time, but let the lad develop. Let's see how his career pans out before putting enormous amounts of pressure. There's enough pressure from playing for Chelsea alone without expecting the lad to be Javier Zanetti. So let's just let's just calm down on that one. He's a good right back. That's what he is. Um, Danny Ceballos, I think massively overrated. I think he's like a poor man's Grealish who at like a mid-table team with everything fed through him, can look quite good. But at a big club where he's expected to be part of a you know, a system, 
has to do a lot of work off the ball. I think he really struggles. He struggles when pressed as well, which is surprising given his technical ability. It's not that he struggles to retain possession. He, he does retain possession quite well, but I think he goes he goes missing. I think he starts hiding from the ball. Um, you see him take up weird positions where there's no pass on to him, yet he's demanding the ball and remonstrating, but he stood directly behind a defender who's blocking the passing lane. So, for me, if you're like in the Premier League, if you're West Ham, Danny Ceballos probably makes sense for you. If your aim is, you know, anywhere from 8th to 14th, I think Danny Ceballos is fine. I think if your ambitions are above that, he just doesn't cut it for me. Um, Aaron Juan Basaka, um, a 50 million right back who can't attack at all. And defensively is nowhere near what he's made out to be. Very, very good 1v1 defender. Very, very good 1v1 defender. Great straight line speed. Good timing of the tackle. But a re- the reason he's to make so many tackles is his positioning is dreadful. Like, positionally, he's as bad a right back as there is in the league. He just has He's an incredible athlete who can make up for it a lot of the time. Doesn't cover across his centre-backs. Doesn't read the game particularly well. Very, very basic on the ball. Has flashes where you, you're reminded that he was a winger as a youngster. But he's certainly not a 50 million right back. I'd struggle to even value him as a 25 million right back based on what I've seen. Again, I, I think he maxes as a good right back. He needs to work on the defensive side of his game. And he can become an absolute shutdown right back who just locks down that side of the field. As long as you don't expect him to offer you much in the opposition half of the field. I think the best situation situation for him would be to play on the right of a back three. And then I think you could develop him into a really good player. And then you get a wing back in who does the attacking work and he just covers that entire side of the field defensively. I also think that would get more out of Harry Maguire. Like if United went Wan-Bissaka, Maguire and Shaw as a back three with Brandon Williams and Alex Tellez as wing backs, I, I think they'd be better off. I really do. You play Fred plus one McTominay for now. You'd obviously want to upgrade on him. And then Bruno behind Martial and Rashford, Martial and Greenwood, Greenwood and Martial, whoever you want to rotate in for that specific game. Um, there's, there's a lot of good about Wan-Bissaka, but he's, he is way overhyped. He's not the defender he's made out to be, and he's not worth the money that they paid for him. And the last one then is Ben White. And this might seem a little bit harsh, but during the summer, um, when Leeds and Liverpool were linked with him, there was talk of Brighton wanting 40 million and 50 million for him. And he was talked up as if he was the next Bobby Moore. He's good on the ball. He's a good passer of the ball. He's not a great passer. He's a good passer. He's good at carrying the ball. But defensively, he, as things stand, is an abomination. He has been very poor defensively for Brighton. He's been fortunate that Lewis Dunk has gotten him out of jail a couple of times. But that right-sided tandem of, of Ben White as the right-side centre-back and Tariq Lamptey as the left-side, uh, the, the right-wing back, in possession... Tremendous. Excellent. You, you, you'd be delighted to have them. Out of possession, you wouldn't want them anywhere near the team. Neither can defend. Both struggle with the physicality of the Premier League. Lamptey was very close to making this list. And I, and I love Lamptey. I just think he has become 
overrated when I see people say, oh, Bayern Munich should buy him. Well, Bayern play a back four, and Tariq Lamptey as a right back in a back four is going to get absolutely skinned alive by any competent winger. They're just going to torture him. And he's also not going to have the attacking freedom that he has as a wing back. But I've left him off and gone for Ben White, uh, largely to get two United players in to annoy Shane Byrne. Uh, thanks, Shane. Um, yeah, that's the um, that's the 10. Jordan Henderson, Harry Maguire, Eric Dyer, Connor Cody, Jack Grealish, Wolf Zaha, Reese James, Danny Ceballos, Aaron Juan Bissaka, and Ben White. Honourable mention to Tariq Lamptey. Honourable mention to Yannick Vestergaard as well, by the way, who... I've seen people say he's the standout centre-back in the league this season. Have you watched Southampton play? Bednarak is carrying that defence. Vestergaard gets the highlights because he plays those lovely long passes and he scores goals. But watch him defend and you will not have him anywhere near any list of standout defenders. He has been exposed multiple times. United just embarrassed him. Uh, City tortured him at the weekend he is not a particularly good defender what what Southampton have right now is they have a new Jose Font Dejan Lovren situation where Jose Font was clearly the better defender by absolute levels but Lovren played long passes with both feet and scored some goals shouted bold did you know the big I am kind of thing charged at a position won some big headers but made constant errors Bednarak is Font, but I think it will be better than Font. Vestigard is Lovren, not quite as bad as Lovren defensively, but close enough. Uh, Southampton have Salisu there for a reason. It's only a matter of time before that happens. I would say Southampton are quite hopeful that they will find a mug who will give them a big bag of cash for Vestigard, um, fooled by long passes and, and headers from corners. Um. Henners East then asks, why do you think Sky, BT, or whoever else continually supply supply us with the worst pundits possible? It can't be cheap to employ who they do, and lots of football fans know what they say is utter rubbish most of the time. I agree that a lot of football fans watch most pundits and think that guy hasn't an absolute breeze what he's talking about. But... I think there are probably a majority who, not that they don't know the game, but maybe they don't, like they might only watch their own team play on a regular basis. And if they watch a Super Sunday or a Monday Night Football and it's a couple of teams they haven't seen, you know, other than against their own team, maybe they buy the nonsense. Maybe they look at it and think, well, that guy played, so he must know what he talks about. I, I think there's a lot of people that do just buy into, well, he played the game at the highest level, so he obviously knows what he's talking about. But, I mean, it only takes five minutes listening to Danny Mills to know he hasn't a breeze. Danny Murphy's the same. I mean, Robbie Savage is paid by multiple outlets to be wrong about football on, on a regular basis. I, I think a big part of it with some of them is personality. Like, I think Robbie Savage has a great personality. He's very likable. Um, he's got a, a kind of a cheeky nature to him. He's a little bit self-deprecating at, at times. And I think that is, is something of a draw. Like there's some of them, like, I mean, Michael Owen is the personality of a, of a wet cat. Would you really want him, you know, in your company for more than five minutes? 
And I, I, again, like you listen to him, and he when he's talking about strikers, I, I I do think he knows what he's on about. But when you hear him talk about defensive stuff, he's just like, Michael, please, please stop. Um, I do think a lot of it is just that name recognition and the knowledge that there are a lot of people that watch football, listen to ex-pros and just think, well, they played the game at the highest level, so they'll know more than me. Well, like they don't. You know more than them. Just If you watch a lot of football, you will know more than them because most pundits don't watch a lot of football. They watch the games they're employed to watch. They don't watch a whole lot other than that. You know, the same with a lot of professional players. A lot of them won't watch football because they want that break away from what they do for a living. Um, I think there's a lot of really poor pundits out there. I think there's some good ones. I do think there's some good ones. Um, But they are outnumbered for sure. They are outnumbered without question. Um, I I, I still think Alan Hansen's the best I've seen be be a pundit. Because I think he was very balanced. I think he was realistic about things. I think he was harsh when he needed to be harsh and would praise when he when praise was deserved, but ne- never got into hyperbole, never got into, you know, false praise or anything like that. I think Sunes is good because he's honest. Keen is good because he's honest. The other thing is I don't think a lot of p- pundits are honest. I think a lot of them say things, number one, to draw a rise out of people, which is fair. I know I do that from time to time. Uh, less on this podcast than on others, admittedly. But uh, I, I do do it from time to time. Um, controversy creates cash, as they say. Uh, I do think there's a lot of footballers who don't give an honest opinion for fear of upsetting people. For example, there's an awful lot of ex-Manchester United players who are currently pundits who refuse to criticise Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I imagine, I would hope that when they're at home in private, they they think realistically about who Ollie is and what he is, the manager, and not the nonsense that you hear when they go on television. Uh, Gary Neville, I am looking at you, because I think Gary Neville's a great pundit. I think Gary Neville has carried Jamie Carragher for years Um and made Monday Night Football what it is. It's, it's a great show. It's largely because of him. Carragher's a great personality. I, I don't think his, his analysis is particularly good. And I think his rating of defenders, as we've seen with Connor Cody. And Dejan Lovren, who he once named in his team of the season and recommended to Liverpool. Uh, I, I just I don't think Carragher's got the analysis side. I think Carragher could be a good presenter, but I don't think he'd be comfortable in that role. I think he's got the personality to be a good presenter. I love him as an interviewer. I think Carragher as an interviewer is excellent. I think he can bounce off people. I think he's got the type of personality that people open up to, makes them feel very comfortable in his presence. Um, I think that's where Carragher is very, very good. I just don't, as a pundit, he wouldn't be for me. A um, little bit better as a co-commentator, I think, than a pundit. Whereas Neville, I think, is the other way around. I don't think Neville's a particularly good co-commentator. I think he's better when he prepares for stuff. Um, as for why they do it, yeah, I, I think it is name recognition and the fact that a lot of people will just take their word for it. And even if they go, look, the thing is, if if Garth Crooks, for example, right, does his team of the week every year, every week, it, it's always nonsense. There's always garbage, but. 
people go on social media or idiots like me come on podcasts and we talk about it and we put it out there. So then you go, oh, I wonder who else in that. And you go and click on it and then they get a click. So part of it is that as well. They they want the notoriety. They want, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Well, there is, but we'll, we'll park that. That there, There's bad publicity because of bad things. But in terms of opinion, there's no real bad publicity. So when people are on Twitter or Facebook or wherever after a game, ranting and raving about I can't believe Micah Richards said this or Roy Keane said this or Sunes said this or whoever um, people go on YouTube and, and look for what they said look at the Rio Ferdinand you know slap the contract down Ollie's at the wheel Manchester United are back drivel that clip's been watched millions of times on YouTube People still go to it. BT get ad revenue off YouTube, as do Sky. So they want people to go and click. And see. that's why they put these clips up. They want you to go and click. They want people to discuss it online and then others to go and look it up and see what was said. Because that's all ad revenue for them. It's all about the money. With everything, it's always about the money. Uh, last one then is from Chris Colby. Always sends in good questions. Always sends in questions that... I have to prepare for, which is why this one didn't get done uh, on a normal pod, because normally I try and not read them before we do them, which is why I have to park some of them. So I had to park this one a few weeks ago. So the question is, who would your top 10 players of all time be if they were playing in the current day Premier League? So what I took this to be was, if I was making up my top 10, now based on who I enjoyed watching, but they had to fit into the modern day Premier League. So, for example, if I, you know, I, I loved Jan, uh, Jurgen Koller. Um, I don't know that he he would fit in the Premier League. Of course he would, but he wouldn't be. I, I don't think he'd play for a top team in the Premier League. Now, I think his style of of defending is a little bit outdated and would be more suited to a mid-table team or a team at the bottom of the league. As great as he was. Um, you know, so what I've tried to do then is put together as close to my my top ten, my favorite players as possible. Um, and how would they fit in the Premier League? So Diego Maradona is the first one. I spoke of him a few weeks ago when he passed away. I, I think he would be absolutely fine in the Premier League. I think you could play him as an inside forward on the right of a front three, and I think he'd decimate the league. You could play a diamond with him as the tip. And again, I think he'd decimate the league. You could play him as a left winger and he'd be absolutely fine. He'd be delighted running up and down all day, just slinging in perfect crosses for everybody. Embarrassing right backs along the way. Um, Paolo Maldini, for me, is the best defender there's ever been. World-class left back, greatest left back ever, and a world-class centre-back. I, I think he would have no problems. And he, and he was right-footed as well, so if you wanted to play him right back, you could. Um, he, he could play for any team in the world and he would be immediately their best defender. Immediately their best defender, no matter who you put him into. Um, Michael Laudrup is like my my kind of personal favorite player of all time, and I think he'd be absolutely fine in, in the Premier League. Um, play him as a wide player, play him as an inside forward, as a 10. Later in his career, he played centre midfield for Real Madrid and, and was great. 
So I think he could play as a number eight in a midfield three um, and be, be absolutely fine. Uh, his partner in that Real Madrid midfield is, is another one of my all-time favorites, Fernando Redondo. The best holding midfielder ever for my money. Um, again, I, I think he'd be absolutely fine. Play him as an eight, play him as a six, play him in a double pivot. He will dominate every single game as he did during his career. Roberto Baggio, uh, another personal favorite, um, one of the most skillful players I've ever seen. Obviously, absolute dynamite in the early 90s. Probably the best player in the world for a couple of years there. Um, carried Italy to the World Cup final in 94. Was brilliant in the World Cup in 90. Great for Juve. Just a, an incredible player again. Off the left in a front three. As a false nine. As a ten. Just off the striker in a front two. He'd be he'd be incredible in the, in the Premier League. With, with some of the defending that we see. Uh, it would be ludicrous. Um, Franco Baresi, uh, I don't think he could. I think he could play as a fullback in the Premier League, no problem. I don't think he could play as a centre back. He's five nine at a push. So I think if you're playing two centre backs in the Premier League, I think you'd struggle to play him as one or two. As brilliant as he was, and I, I think he's the best central defender I've seen. He was just ridiculously good as a one v one marker. Great on the ball. I think the perfect sweeper. So if you're playing a back three and you wanted, say, for example, Wolves, if you took Connor Cody out and put him in, I mean, that would be perfect. But I also think he could be a great holding midfielder. Positionally brilliant. Great 1v1. Great in the tackle. Good pace. Covers a lot of ground. Reads the game better than anybody ever. So, yeah, I mean, Baresi, I think you just he find he would find a way to make something work for himself. And be an elite player for an elite team. Uh, Javier Zanetti. I, I think he's the best right back I've ever seen. Um, just the, the all-round player. I mean, we look at what Trent does now for Liverpool. And how they run their team through him. He's the primary playmaker. And people act like it's the first time anyone's ever been that. Javier Zanetti was the primary playmaker for Inter Milan in the late 90s from right back and throughout the 2000s from right back before he moved into midfield and became great in that role he was just a one-man show at right back teams used to play a left back at left wing just to man mark him who else has played fullback and had teams set up to man mark them and take them out take him out of the game not many Put him into any team in the world, he'd be phenomenal. Put him into any Premier League team, he'd be great. Uh, Roy Keane, uh, you know, I mean, he, the, the greatest midfielder the Premier League has seen, the greatest captain the Premier League has seen, the the ultimate winner of the Premier League era, just refused to lose any situation. A, a real captain, a proper leader of men, someone that his teammates looked up to and never questioned. Roy Keane starts for any team in the Premier League. Any team. If Liverpool, if Liverpool had Roy Keane, they'd just leave Fabinho at centre-back. They'd have Fabinho and Virgil with Roy Keane in front of them. That's how good he is. He, and he would be great. He would improve them. That's how good he was. Um, I've actually got two for my 10 spots, so I'll do both. Um, Matthias Zammer, who I, I just I fell in love with in, in 96 at, that, at the Euros. 
Uh, that German team with him as the sweeper. Dieter Els as the holding midfielder with Thomas Hassler next to him and Andy Muller as the 10. I, I just loved that team. Loved watching them play. I, again, at the Wolves, he fits perfectly as a sweeper. Um, there's, you know, you look at other back three, te- back three teams like Sheffield United, they don't play that sweeper type. They play more of a kind of a dominant centre-back. But I, I think he could, he would absolutely be an upgrade there, of course. But he's too good to play for them. So you you put him in a top team, and I think he could play as a box-to-box midfielder or as a holding midfielder, which is what he primarily did in his career at, I think it was Dinamo Dresden and then into Milan um, before he moved to Dortmund and, and Otmar Hitzfeld turned him into a sweeper. Obviously, you know, the best player at that Euros. I think he won the Ballon d'Or that year. And then won the Champions League with with Dortmund as well. Uh, just a phenomenal player. Career sh- cut short by injuries, but just a great, great player. Um, and Dennis Burkamp, who's one of my all time favorite Premier League era players, maybe my maybe my all time favorite Premier League era player. Um, I've just realised that's something he is he is only number ten. I've actually forgotten one, but I've got them written down. Uh, Dennis Burkamp again off the striker. I think he could play as a 10 in a diamond or 4-2-3-1. I think he could play as a false nine. He, he played as a nine at times during his career. Uh, just a, an incredibly gifted player. So much fun to watch. Technically as good as anyone I've ever seen. His first touch, his create, creative mind, just sensational. Um, if, if not for him, I don't know that Thierry Henry becomes the player he does. Nicholas Nelka certainly doesn't. And Ian Wright doesn't have the renaissance in his career that he did. Um, so that is 10. Zammer and Burkamp were meant to be 10 slash 11 or 9. The real Ronaldo, um, the best striker I've seen. Uh, well, maybe others have seen better. Maybe people would look at Van Basten, maybe. But the real Ronaldo um, at at Barca and at Inter before his knee exploded. There's never been anything like him. A one-man crew who just could beat teams all by himself. Uh, would take incredible kicking. Teams fouled him in a disgusting manner. They had no answer for him. He was just sensational. And even after all the injuries and everything else, still went to the 2002 World Cup and top scored and was still scoring goals regularly for you know Real Madrid, AC Milan, etc. into the mid-2000s. So um, him, I didn't pick anyone still playing because uh, I, I don't like doing that. Like when I pick my top 10 ever or anything like that, I never pick... A current player, when I pick my top 10 Premier League players ever, I don't pick current players because I, I still think those players have more to do. So if you know if you were to pick a, an all-time Premier League t- top 10 and you were to say, you know, Virgil van Dijk is eighth, I mean, he could end up fourth, and I don't want to have to redo the list. So I'll wait till he retires and I'll put him where I think he goes. Um, no goalkeepers. My favorite goalkeeper of all time is still playing in Gigi Buffon. Uh, my second favorite goalkeeper of all time is Gianluca Pagliuca, who I think might struggle a little bit in the Premier League. Uh, not the best on crosses. Uh, great shot stopper, incredibly agile, but not the best on crosses. And I think teams might just target him for that. Um, so yeah, that is my top 11 of all time and how I think they do in the Premier League. Uh, and that is all the questions that we have. Thank you to all four of you for sending those in. Very much appreciated. We'll wrap up with a little bit of gossip. 
because why not? It's Christmas after all. Liverpool have joined Manchester United and Manchester City in the race to sign Jack Grealish with Aston Villa braced for bids for the England midfielder. Right. Couple of things here. He just signed a new contract. He's going nowhere in January. Villa have no reason to sell. They have no need to sell. They're financially very, very secure. They're having a decent season. They're building something at Villa. United don't need him at all. Does not fit how they play. I mean, where would you play him? He, he's, he can only play off the left in a front three. United have Bruno and Marcus Rashford for those roles. You're not going to pay 70, 80, 90 million, whatever nonsense fee it would be for Jack Grealish to have him come in and be a sub. He doesn't fit how City play at all. Um, I know they were linked in the summer. I called it nonsense then. I'm calling it nonsense now. And there is absolutely not a hope that Liverpool have any interest in Jack Grealish. Doesn't fit how they play. They had a much better version of Jack Grealish in Phil Coutinho a couple of years ago, and Klopp could never quite figure out how to properly put him in the team and build around him. They also have a very strict policy on the personality of players that they want at the club. He will not pass that that strict rule, so he he's out. Just he's Liverpool aren't looking at him. That is his agent or a journalist being lazy. It was tagged as an exclusive in the mirror. It's an exclusive because they've made it up. Manchester United are hopeful they can beat the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona to the signature of David Alaba, who's out of contract at Bayern Munich in the summer. I mean, they could offer the biggest bag of money and maybe he'd want to do it, but I, I don't see it. I don't see that he'd want to join a, a club that are still partway through a rebuild. As great as he, and all as he is. I also don't know where he really fits at United. I mean, he'd be an upgrade on Fred. You're not going to play him centre-back. You're not going to play him and him and Slabhead at centre-back. Move Maguire to the right when you bought him based on his performances at left centre-back, and he hasn't played right centre-back since he was a Hull, and he wasn't very good there, and he played most of his games there at left centre-back. That's It's nonsense. Um, again, it's probably an exclusive from the mirror. Manchester United and Liverpool are among a number of clubs to express an interest in Schalke defender Ozan Kabak, with the Bundesliga club lowering their asking price from £40 million to £25 million for the Turkey international. I do know Liverpool have interest in him. I would assume United do as well. He's very, very talented, but he's very, very raw. You don't want to be bringing him in as a starting centre-back. He's having a stinker of a season as well, as is everybody at Schalke. They're not quite Sheffield United level of incompetent, but they're close. And off the field, they're a much worse situation. They're financially ruined. They are going to have to sell pretty much everybody and everything that's not nailed down to just balance their books. It's a mess. Arsenal are looking at a move for Inter Milan and Denmark midfielder Christian Eriksen in the January window. Do you know what? If he was willing to do it, it would be absolutely perfect. He is exactly what they need in midfield. If he was willing to make that move, and I don't know that he would because he was obviously very happy at Spurs for a long time, but he would be perfect for Arsenal. He's exactly what they need. He fits in a 4-3-3. You can shift your shape around if you want to, but he, he can play as an 8 and a 4-3-3. No question. You put him, Tomas, and get a, either either a sitting holding midfielder and play Tomas as the box-to-box runner, or you play Tomas as your six and you get a, a, another powerful box-to-box player and be your creator. Super talented player. I love him. I love watching him play. Hasn't worked from an inter. Inter bought him 
flip him. There was never any intention for them to keep him. It was a an opportunistic move on a player that had five, uh, five or six months left in his contract and nothing more. Uh, Liverpool are certain to offer their Egyptian forward Mo Salah an increase on his 200000 a week contract to fend off interest from Real Madrid, Barcelona and Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, the only way he goes to Paris Saint-Germain is if Kylian Mbappe is travelling in the other direction. I don't know why he would want to join Barcelona or Real Madrid. Uh, I also don't think either of them have anything like the money required to buy Mo Salah. Like, realistically, if, if Liverpool decide to sell Mo Salah, the asking price starts at £150 million, And they're not taking a penny less than that. He's still got years left in his contract. He's 28 and in his prime. He's in incredible form this season. He's been unbelievable since joining. He's gotten better each year. The goal tally, yes, it has dipped off. The creative numbers are off the charts. He's sensational. And Liverpool will be looking around at players of his ilk. Like, look at what what Barca paid for um, Anton Griezmann, who's older and not as good. They'll be looking at that and saying, right, you're having a laugh. It's Coutinho money and up, not including add-ons. Real can't afford him, Barca can't afford him, and I don't think he'd want to go to PSG. Um, unless it, they just offer him the biggest bag of money imaginable. Maybe, maybe he would because of the Arab connection. I don't know. But if he goes there, believe Mbappe is coming in, in, in return. There's no way Liverpool are doing that deal otherwise. Um, West Ham, Leicester, and several other Premier League clubs are interested in signing James Tarkovsky. This is a regurgitation of a rumour from the summer. Uh, Leicester did make a, a bid in the summer. I think West Ham did as well. They got turned down. For West Ham, it still makes sense. For Leicester, it doesn't. They bought Wesley Fafana, so it doesn't make sense. They've got Fafana, they've got Sayonchu, they've got Evans, they own Benkovic. It would make no sense. He also doesn't really suit how they play, so it, that you know that is what it is. Johnny Evans is set to sign a new deal at Leicester. Well-deserved. The most underrated uh, central defender in the league. Rarely below a 6 out of 10. Generally 7 out of 10. Reliable. This season, I think he's been one of the better centre-backs in the league. Um, playing well himself, but also you know, talking Fafana and James Justin through games. Just been very, very good. They, they have been without Pereira, who I think is a top three right-back. Sayonchu, I think, is a top three centre-back. And Ndidi, who I think is a top three holding midfielder, for a long time this season. And yet they still have a decent defensive record. And I think it's because of Johnny Evans. Uh, well-deserved new contract there for him. Leeds are interested in Adama Traore with his future at Wolves in doubt because of a lack of playing time. Did I not just say that Bielsa and Nuno should swap because Bielsa would love to get hold of Adama? Of course I did. Uh, I didn't actually say that, but, you know, I did say that they should swap. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Adama under under Bielsa would be just bananas. Um, Bayer Leverkusen have approached Manchester United about signing English fullback Brandon Williams on a permanent deal. Now, that, if that's true, that's interesting. I really like Brandon Williams. I think he's very, very talented. I'd actually love to see him go to Brighton and play as a wing-back opposite Lamptey. I know he's right-footed, but I think he, he'd be very comfortable on the left-hand side. I think he's very, very good. It would be very interesting to see him go abroad and play for a club like Leverkusen. Uh, Arsenal players will face 25% pay cuts if they are relegated from the Premier League. The reduction would knock £37.5 million off their annual wage. But right. First of all, Arsenal, the fact that they're even thinking about that is bananas. Secondly, I will guarantee you there's no relegation uh, clauses in their contracts. Not a hope. 
Only clubs that are threatened by relegation put those clauses in. Clubs that live at the top end of the table, I don't think they have them in. I think that's just... I think he's someone has looked at that and gone, okay, well, standard is 25 to 50%. Um, so let's just, you know, work that out. And it's a little bit of a story to put together. I think it's nonsense, to be honest. Everton assistant Davide Ancelotti says, England forward Dominic Calvert-Lewin shares a special ability with Juventus and Portugal striker Cristiano. <laughs> Maybe their ability in the air, but that is about the height of it. Let's not get carried away with Calvert-Lewin and let's not have me put him on the list of overrated players. He's great in the air. That's the only thing he has in common with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Barcelona presidential candidate Jordi Farre says the club need to strengthen an attack and named Marcus Rashford among the players he admires. He, he has also promised to re-sign Neymar and give free pa- pizzas and tattoos to the club. Um, my assumption is he's not a serious candidate. Um, they, 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 I, I don't even know what to make of that. I really, it's from 90minute.com, so it's it's almost certainly utter garbage. Um, Mikel Arteta has promoted Rome, uh, Romanian youth international Catalan Sirjan uh, into his first team squad. Uh, which is great, you know. It's it is good to see Arsenal promoting these young players in, and not running the risk of losing them. He is an 18 year old midfielder, um, one goal and two assists in six under 23 games this year. Can play central midfield or either side. Don't know anything about him to be honest, but uh, best of luck to him. Great to see young players getting an opportunity there at a big club. Uh, even if Arsenal are in a bit of a mess. And then I saved these three to last because they're all Liverpool-related. Liverpool have now banked the full 142 million fee from Barcelona's purchase of Phil Coutinho. Uh, I don't know if that's true. I, As far as I know, they sold off the add-ons based on appearances, but there were certain add-ons based on like winning the Champions League, which Barca haven't done. And I don't know that like those investment companies that buy these type of things I don't think they would buy an add-on based on Barca winning the Champions League maybe they have I, I if they did Liverpool haven't banked that full amount because say for example one of the things was meant to be if he hits a certain amount of games it's 10 million and, and the next amount is 10 million well for that company to collect that money they're going to get 10 million so they're not giving Liverpool 10 million maybe they gave them Six million or seven million, but Liverpool won't have gotten the full fee. Um, this is common practice that teams sell add-ons to these, you know, venture capitalist firms or whatever. And um, yeah, th- th- that is what it is. Liverpool aren't getting any more money from Coutinho, so you'll see stories that say Liverpool are due to get this amount from Coutinho. It's it's nonsense. The money's all been received. What they're going to get, they're not getting any more. Uh, Liverpool have had a bid accepted by Birmingham for England youth international Callum Scanlon. The 15-year-old plays on the left side of defence or in midfield. Again, don't know anything about him, but uh, great. If he's good, great. You know, uh, I do worry about young players making that type of move because I I often think maybe they're better off staying at a club like Birmingham where they'll have a more defined path to the first team and follow the the Jude Bellingham, you know, method. Um, But look, if he's, I'm, I'm all for Liverpool signing quality players, 
young or old, whatever, great. And the last one then is Liverpool are interested in signing Lille centre-back Sven Botman as a potential long-term partner for fellow Dutchman Virgil van Dijk. Right, a couple of things with this. Number one, he would absolutely be high on my list of centre-backs for Liverpool to sign. In fact, he's probably top three after Canate and Upamecano. But if you sign him in January, and I think they could sign him in January because Lille are in a terrible state financially and will have to sell a couple of pieces in January, most likely, because they're about $170 million in debt. The TV deal is gone, so things are not good for them. Um, if you sign him in January, he comes in, and I think what happens is he rotates in and out, partnering Mata, partnering Fabinho, then Virgil comes back, and I think he becomes the third-choice centre-back, with the idea being he's only 20, he's the long-term successor to Van Dijk. You can play him alongside Van Dijk in certain games where Van Dijk can shift to the right centre-back role and Botman comes in on the left, or you can play a back three and he fits in perfectly there. I don't think he's the long-term partner for Van Dijk because I don't think Van Dijk is getting moved from his preferred left-side centre-back role to that right side role. I, I, he's not as good there, and I, I just don't see it happening. I think if Botman is signed, he is the third centre-back for the medium term, and long-term, he's Virgil's replacement. In the shorter term as well, I think what he would do is he would allow them to bring Virgil back a little bit slower and then rest him more often so he's not having to play the massive amounts of minutes he was playing over the last couple of years. I'm a huge fan of Botman, and I would be very much in favour of his signing. Um, it would then leave Liverpool with the option of, do we keep Fabinho as the right-side centre-back next to Van Dijk and have, say, Botman and Joe Gomez as the backups? I think Joel Matip is leaving in the summer. Um, or do we put and you know, and then buy a defensive midfielder to replace Fabinho in midfield? Or do we push Fabinho back into midfield and buy another centre-back? Now, there's been a lot of rumours that Liverpool have a list of targets for the summer. The likes of Upamecano and Kanate have been mentioned. Uh, so maybe it's a Botman in January and then an Upamecano or a Kanate in the summer and it's Upamecano slash Kanate with Virgil and then Gomez and Botman as the backups. But either way, Botman is not the long-term partner for Van Dijk because you're not going to move Van Dijk. Um, he's really, really good. He went to Lille for like $7 million in the summer, which was a bargain. Ajax messed up massively there. He's going to be very, very good. He really reminds me of Danny Agar, who I'm a huge fan of. So I'd I'd be in favour of the signing without question. I think if he's 30, 35 million or below that, you just jump on it. You just have to be aggressive and go and get him. Uh, that is it. That is me for today. Um, tomorrow then is back to normal with match previews and you know getting ready for for the big day on Friday when. You know, we all get to spend some time with our families that we've spent every minute of the last nine months with. But uh, no, it's it's you know, it's nice. It's I, I love Christmas. I've always loved Christmas. So I uh, hope everybody is is doing well. Hope everybody has somebody to be with for Christmas. Uh, if not, reach out on social media for a chat. You know, whatever. Um, thank you to Guy Drinkle as always, and thank you to you for listening. Thank you to Foxhorn for the music. I will see you tomorrow. Take care and good night. Bye bye.
Social Podcast Network.